Gemma, and this is Money Can't Buy You Class, your favorite podcast on the intersection of critical theory and reality television. I was going to say like social theory, but then I was like, is that, I don't don't know, is that a thing? Is that not? Because anyway, this is Gemma and I'm Phoebe. (laughs) Yes. Hi. You know, critical theory, critical thought, you know, we're just we're just really crunching this stuff down. We're really getting to the core. We're chewing it up and we're, we're swirling it around in our mouths. We're ruminating. Like we're ruminating. Two, the two old cows we are. It's like critically thinking. Sorry. Yeah, it's we're a critical critically th- thinking. Exactly. Exactly. We, we are simply thinkers on this earth. And we just, we just decided that we should probably talk about our thoughts too, because we live in the age of podcasting and we're millennials who are trying to brand ourselves uh, as one does. Um, but today we're coming to you hot off the presses of Bravo TV to discuss the first part of a four part, that's right, a month long, let that sink in, a month long series of the Beverly Hills <laughs> reunion. Yeah, no, it's a month. It's a month of them reunionizing. And of course, it's four part because this was the groundbreaking season of Erica Jane's legal uh, troubles and her alleged misconduct. Right. And she pronounced instead of alleged, she's like alleged, the alleged. And you're right. There's so much drama in her voice. Oh, my God. Uh, she's so insane. I know when she's just like the alleged of the alleged and then she has like her hair all like 19 like it's almost uh who's that uh that Pamela Anderson yeah like got really crazy and like dated the old man for his money she uh yes she also I mean she said I saw a clip of her like on Instagram talking about her outfit and she said she was inspired by LA Confidential which is the movie that I talked about a couple weeks ago that I watched on the plane that weirdly has this plot line of these women who are prostitutes and they're in this specific ring where they are given plastic surgery to look like famous celebrities. And then they are pimped out because they look like famous celebrities. So I just think that little detail is fun in considering the current day Erica Jane as a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, that's such a weird movie to say like, that it's inspiring your outfit because in LA Confidential, it's like the good guy, uh, like sergeant or whatever ends up, spoiler alert, being like the worst of the worst, right? He's the one orchestrating all the deaths and all the drug handling. Uh, (laughs) I haven't seen that movie in a while, but like, he's the bad guy, right? Like the guy who everyone thought was great and smart, which is kind of like, it's it's like not super similar to um Tom Girardi but it's like it's definitely one of those like LA crime 
movies or like LA noirs where it's like the good guy is the bad guy or the boss is bad. It's about the law and breaking the law and corruption within the high ranks. No, it is. There's the DA is in that movie. It is a very interesting illusion for her to make and put into everyone's heads. I mean, corruption is an interesting lens to think about this reunion with in a way, you know, it's like, where is the corruption from? You know, there's, there's corruption among the cast because of Erica's, uh, you know, legal troubles. There's kind of, I don't know. I mean, so I guess to, to launch in, I would say that Phoebe, you and I have talked about the reunion, probably not as much as we should have, but we've talked about it a little bit and we've talked about how the reunion serves as this kind of trial of sorts. And it's almost like this forum and it has a very feeling of justice and truth will prevail. It's kind of the feeling of a reunion. And this is interesting, especially in the context of this season of Beverly Hills's reunion, obviously because Erica Jane and her husband are on actual legal trial and she is very much the focus of this reunion and she is who is on trial and being literally grilled. Andy Cohen says, I'm skewering you and I'm going to turn up the barbecue. And you see him rapid fire ask her questions. So that's just kind of an interesting sort of like framing to have with this reunion. Yeah, but I mean, okay, something she does point out, which I didn't know, was that she's actually not on trial. Like she's Mm -hmm. not being prosecuted for anything, which I think makes all of it so much weirder, right? Because it's like her finance, like the whole quote unquote alleged, which is true is that he put the 20 million dollars in her llc yeah right and then she spent it on erica jane and like that whole character and all the production but like i so so but she but you but she's not being prosecuted for that yet because they first they need to know if he even took the 20 million dollars right yes but they but they need but partly what they need to do is they need to find where the money went. And so she's, she's in essence, she is kind of on trial in a way because they need to know if she knew and if she knows where the money is. Well, does Chris want to chime in? (laughs) So this is uh, the brilliant Christopher. They've uh, been on the podcast before and now they're going to explain (laughs) some of Erica Chain's legal troubles to us. And much like uh, Sutton, we are consulting our our legal, a lawyer. We're consulting legal advice. She's not on criminal trial. That's right. But she is in multiple civil lawsuits for the money back. So her livelihood is certainly on trial because if she loses the case, like it's one of those things where if you lose like a $25 million case, you're just like never going to make money again for the rest of your life. I mean, if she somehow completely came back and could make that much money then it wouldn't be a big deal but like she's going to be broke if she loses the case is the thing and then you have the double thing where she's not charged yet in the tom thing but it looks likely that she will be charged as an accessory so it's like this double thing where like right now she's playing it up of like i haven't been charged with anything and it's like well first of all yes you have like you're in like five civil cases where you're charged with taking the money and then it's going to be like a three-year process because really Tom Girardi is the one who like had his, you know, ugly little paw in every part of California politics, you know? So that's like the big issue there. Like the corruption part is that, 
you know, he basically had a hand in picking every Supreme Court justice on the California Supreme Court since like 1992. You know what I mean? Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) You're so smart. Okay, so so yeah, so she might she's in civil trial. She's not named on the main trial, but she very much is on trial at this reunion and has been, quote unquote, on trial all throughout this season because she has actually said that she's been like, I'm on trial, you know, so I don't know. I'm just into the whole like trial air it out truth. Like, does justice mean truth? Like, what does that actually mean? Like the reunion is a place where things are kind of aired. Like all the grievances are put out into the open and you can kind of mend things and patch things together. And we even saw that at the beginning of this reunion with Lisa Rinna and Garcelle kind of working it out and hugging. And now they're on the same page. And then Andy pivots right from there to some Basically, he just pivots from a relationship to relationship, trying to mend the relationships. Yeah. First, it was um, Dorit and Garcelle. Right. And then he was like, OK, now it's like Lisa Rinna and Garcelle. And then like Dorit and Garcelle, like kind of worked it out. And then Andy was like, oh, I don't think that uh, Garcelle and Lisa are going to work it out. But then they did. But I want to say about the trial and the and the judgment and who wins in the trial is that I think that the point of judgment is punishment, right? And I think that that's like the, or or justice. And I guess justice means how things should be, like fairness wise. And the women are really obsessed with fairness. You can even hear them go subconsciously. That's fair. I'll give you that. That's fair. And even with their own it, which we've Mm. talked about so much already, like taking accountability and owning it, those are like, that's like tax language, you know, that's like the language of money and the language Mm. of objects. And if you dish it out, people say, okay, well, own it. It's like me, it's like the checks and balances of the, uh, you know, of the, of the reunion court. Yeah, I've never really watched like Judge Judy. I do with Chris's grandma. Like it might be worth it. <laughs> yeah, how's your, what's your experience of watching Judge Judy? Like TV courts, like this is very, and I, and I have to think that the reunion is like coming on the heels of that. You know, reunion, Real Housewives has daytime television vibes. You know, reunion has such daytime TV vibes. I was thinking that partly because I watched it at yeah. 9.30 this morning, but also partly because like just the whole construction of the reunion, you know, they go behind the scenes. They ask you what you're wearing. They show you the cameras. It's very QVC. It's very Lisa Rinna selling her dusters on QVC. Right. Right. And there's that great point in the, like, I think it's season three or four. Uh, Vanderpump Rules reunion when James is texting Andy and Andy's like no I'm not gonna talk about the album James like for real and he's like no no we're not selling anything today you know what I mean like they it is like a platform to sell but it's also a platform to sell their honesty their accountability their realness and their goodness and that's actually something that you're seeing well Oh my God, so much just popped into my tiny, feeble female mind. But um, <laughs> I, the, I think a lot about those cameras and I think that the cameras are also very much like uh, like spotlights or like CCTV, right? They're like major CCTV mm. vibes in the whole like following yeah. people around and the cameras in the cars, you know? And I always think of like the like tapping a phone 
right? Like listening in. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's like you're under surveillance, but I was also, yeah. What was it? Oh, right. Something that you can really see, especially in part one of this reunion, is Erica. And this is something that you saw in the whole season is Erica refusing to like feel bad for the victims. Right. And that's something that's kind of like this major thing where she's just like, sure, the victims have it bad, but look at me, look at my life. And I think that that she's like, you know, she may not be on like felony charge trial, but in like the court of the reunion of are you a good person, even though the type of wealth you have should already be illegal. You know, it's like she's already mm-hmm. failing at that because she's distancing herself from the morals and ethics of everyone else. Well, and that also that kind of court of the reunion, what it really makes me think of is it the reunion has this guise of the kind of court mm-hmm. of public opinion. It's like everyone who's been watching you, this is what they think. And that is demonstrated in Andy's kind of gimmick of pulling the question cards, you know, Betty from South Carolina wonders why you're not sorry for the victims. And of course, we all know that that's Andy speaking, but this kind of supposition that it's like this kind of like forum for public questions and it, it, you're, you have to face down the questions of the people who have dutifully been watching you. I think is a major part of that. Like, yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. And it's, um, it's letting the public seep into their private lives in a more interactive way. I've noticed with reunions, like the reunion is kind of like the breaking of the fourth wall in a lot of ways. Like there in many ways, it like breaks the fourth wall. It's like, they're in a different context. They're like all sitting together. They're all acknowledging they were on the show together which maybe isn't like that revelatory, but it's always felt to me like a bit of like the fourth wall breaks. And I think the longer these shows go on, the more the fourth wall breaks. And I mean, you can even see that with like the Kardashian reunion, like that was a real major breaking of the fourth wall because they don't do that kind of media usually. And so them having them like kind of crossing over into this like Bravo sphere of like dramatic reality TV with a reunion was very much like there's something being revealed here. Like this is a new, a new, a new goal maybe. But what I think about the um, reunions now is they more and more break the fourth wall. You get more and more details, I think, every season. And like they say, you know, Andy says like, well, this is your main job, like you being on the show. And like, I know how much you make on the show. And that's really never brought up in reunions. The fact that this is a job, that they're, that they're on the show as a job has now brought up, been brought up with Lisa Rinna too, because Garcelle said something shady on Watch What Happens Live and said, like, I think she should be fired. And Lisa was Rinna's like, don't come for my livelihood. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And then you also have um, Crystal being like, well, I signed so many legal papers to be on television, which is also something that they, you know, have to pretend to forget when they're on the show, which is like, because there's the whole thing where everyone's like talking to their attorneys about um, their if if they could possibly be implicated just by being on a show or by like having the private mm-hmm. conversations with Erica. So they all talk to their attorneys and Erica's like, how dare you? This could never affect you. Why are you doing that? But then it's like Crystal's like, 
I just had to sign so much shit to be on the show. Like, it makes sense that I talked to my lawyer about like you being possibly in like very big legal case. Like, I totally understand that. And like, I, you know, Erica is a master dramatist, you know, she's an actress she's and an she's actress. like, she's very Hollywood. And even, you know, being LA confidential, that's like, it's like a very Hollywood movie, you know, yeah. you're like, Oh, of course the prostitutes even need to look like movie stars. Like what's the difference. Right. Um, and that's just so on brand for Erica. Right. It's like so on brand since she like was a high class escort. Right. Like and it's just, it I Hollywood. don't know. I just think that like, she pretends to forget in, in, in ways that are kind of like cut out for the, you know, for the theatrics of reality television where she like refuses or she insists that they're not on a show, like only when it's convenient to her or something like that. Or like, you know, she's obviously great at leaving out details and she's great at like being able to like emotionally forget or emotionally push aside like Tom cheating on her and the the various al- alleged pain that he <laughs> caused her. I, I don't know. I just, I think that there's, I was trying to grab onto something there. I totally agree. I mean, I think that we've seen her put on like the performance of a lifetime this season, which we've talked about, you know, in throughout, throughout the season. And you know, when we had Natasha Stag on, if you haven't listened to the episode, go listen to the episode. But when we had Natasha Stag on, she talked about, you know, Erica wearing the non-waterproof mascara in that episode when she balls her eyes out to Kyle. That is all, you know, Erica knows she has a $40,000 a month glam squad. She doesn't wear non-waterproof mascara, you know? And so that was like, it's a prop. It's a, it's an, it's like an aesthetic thing. And she is so governed by aesthetics and always has been like, sure. Her whole thing is like about the way she looks and like her crazy outfits and her like crazy personas. And, you know, there's lots of scenes from this that they're like kind of cutting back to in the reunion where she is, you know, she has like, there's another scene where she has a tear rolling down. It's like, it like cuts a line in her concealer and you know, she's doing like a lot of looks that are very, and Erica is a real fashionista. And this look that she's doing for the reunion, like is so referential to this kind of Hollywood actress, old Hollywood thing. And this, and, you know, I I don't know, the more I think about it, the more I'm sitting here with that, I'm like, that is really like kind of interesting of her to do, you know, maybe not interesting, but it's like, it's kind of crazy. It's like, it kind of follows in the footsteps of her whole theatrics of the whole season that she's putting on this performance of like blonde bombshell, like Hollywood. It's it's also, it's like so perverted. It's, and like obtuse and they all are right. And I, I don't know, like I see so much at Lisa Rinna too. She's gotten so into like the costume of, you know, and I think that that's also something to talk about for the reunion where it's like, they dress up in their ball gowns. You know what I mean? It's like, it's beyond a cocktail party. It's like going to the freaking like opera or whatever. But uh, Lisa Rinna is like in her wigs and her more makeup each time and like the the hair and the dress. And she's wearing a Vic Kim Kardashian, like what Vic Kim Kardashian was wearing um, for SNL, which was like kind of like pink bodysuit that like also covered her like hands and feet like Lisa Rinna had that exact same thing but with um purple and she also had the hair slicked back in the long ponytail right she's like oh I have a name this one she's it's like well it's it's Kim 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dorit's also a real Kim uh, copier. I mean, everybody essentially in the world is copying Kim. Well, I was also just thinking, so I just saw um, the Kim Kardashian SNL, which was like, like atrocious, like so unfunny. But um, there are two references to reality television, right? It was the People's Court, uh, which is where she was like pretending to be a Judge Judy type character who was Kourtney Kardashian. Um, And then there is also... Um, like a bachelor, like a bachelorette type thing that was called like, who wants to date me? Where the big joke was that they were like, they had to die if they were um, eliminated. But you know, like she's making fun of the genre, but like in two separate iterations of the genre that are never the genre of her own reality television. I mean, I feel like the Kim being on SNL is like another wall being broken for me. Another like fourth wall of the Kardashians being broken. It's like her being a voice on Paw Patrol. It's like so base. <laughs> I don't know. But I guess it works though because she's just a brand, right? We've right. About this. She's just continuing right. She brand. She is a brand. Um, but she's also a human. And I think that because she cements herself as a brand, we do forget that she's a human. So in a strange way, her being a human is actually the most intriguing thing about her these days right that she you know you're like oh she like Mm -hmm. walks and talks in real time like I forgot that she could like do a live performance without like you could like you know you couldn't see the the switchboard on her back or something you know like I think that that was very strange definitely yeah I agree I mean I think in the vein of like you know it's it's like thinking about the reunion as like a daytime television event, similar to this kind of people's court or like, you know, like it's like reunions and the real housewives have, have become such TV staples. And I feel like the reunion as like a TV event, like, I think it'd be interesting to kind of like try to situate that in like TV history or something. Cause like, you know, SNL has a similar thing where SNL is like a, tel- a staple of television. It's like something that people right. understand about TV is that SNL is on at midnight. It's a live show. It's, it's a very classic, you know, it hasn't really changed um, in its exact formulation. I mean, it's like changed obviously, but I think that there's something like interesting there to think about, you know, this kind of like, it's like, we, we gear up for the reunion all season long. And, and the longer you watch housewives and the more reunions you watch, I've noticed myself doing this because I'm watching Atlanta, like old episodes. I'm like, Oh, I, I can't wait for them to talk about that on the reunion. Like, you're like, Oh, I want to hear how they defend that in the reunion. So it, it is like, it is like this kind of important event that's, that sits pretty outside, even though it's dealing with everything in the show, it kind of sits right outside the actual Funk, like the actual no you're so right and not only are we waiting for it as viewers but they also when someone feels as if they're so right they go wait until the reunion watch it all play out then and like even in right. your head like if you right. see someone say one thing to a person's face but then in the confessional say something different you're like oh shit she's gonna get flack for that on the you know, in the, uh, in the reunion, because then people will be able to watch like the emotional spectrum in its entirety instead of just the lived experience. So I'm reading right now. Um, I mean, it's one of the most brilliant books, um, collections ever written at memory by Bernadette Mayer, who's, uh, just probably one, one of the most influential poets, 
um, like one of the New York poets in the like like 60s, 70s, 80s, or maybe a little bit later, definitely like 70s and 80s. Um, but she she kind of like was the voice of New York poetry. Um, and she has this incredible book called Memory, which is just kind of like every day she would shoot a roll of 35 millimeter film and like write about her day. And in the introduction, she, you know, she's obviously like, I wrote over 200 pages for the month of July. And there, and she was like, and I, there was nothing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I let the, the amount that I left Mm -hmm. out was, was, was infinite. She's like, I didn't talk about dreams, sex, thoughts, walks, all the images I saw. And I feel like, you know, it, it's like, in a, it's a type of experimental literature. It's like Proust is the most obvious example, but you also have someone like Thomas Bernard and like woodcutters, or you have um, like Michelle Lerie in, in scratches, right? You have all these people who have this like yearning desire for like a type of literature art, which is all encompassing. But you know the the mm-hmm. joke is that it's yeah. is that it's impossible. You can't possibly do that. And I think that reality right. television is, in a way, an extension of this like search for the truth of the moment by moment passage of of time. And I think that they hone in on the truth part. They hone in on what actually happened and I think part of what actually happens is the recollection is the emotional recollections of what actually happened which you can see in the confessional yeah it is a totally about like kind of the lived experience of like all those little emotional moments and and for me the reunion is this kind of it, it really feels like this place where it's like okay get it all out in the open like we're gonna like put like you know, shine the light in and like get all air all your grievances and kind of like show it, bear it all. And then we can work through it. It it actually is a site where there's like even more violence and aggression because they're like face to face and they're dealing with things, you know, head on. So it's really not a place where things like get resolved all the time. It's like this, it's just like an extension of yeah, like reliving, right. reliving these moments. Yeah, and I really like the idea of the reunion as like daytime television because I feel like um, I, whenever I think of Judge Judy, I always think of the uh, Larry David season about Judge Judy where he ends up on Judge <laughs> Judy. So yeah, well, the other thing about the like, you know, judge, jury, trial, you know, airing everything out and the reliving of the experience of these, like, so them reliving the confessional moments or reliving the show moments is one of my favorite parts of the reunion is they, they do actually, as you sit there and recall, they sit there and they watch the tape roll back, you know, they watch it play back in there. I I mean, talk about surveillance. It's like them, it's like a little, you know, their little picture in the corner watching their, watching their real playback and the faces of the people that they're involved with watching it back. It's just like the watching and the watching and the watching and the reliving. And, you know, I think we didn't really, we have, I think we've touched on this before, but um, when we did our presentation at Composium, I think somebody asked a question and we got into a little bit of a conversation about how like the Kardashians are constantly, you know, they're repeating themselves, which we talk about a lot and in reality TV, they're repeating themselves but they also are in this cycle and these reunions and Real Housewives is the same thing where they live a life, it's on film, and then they have they have to repeat it 
and think about it in their interviews and their confessionals because those aren't those aren't filmed on the same days. Those are separate filming experiences that happen after the fact. And then they have the reunion where they have to relive it again. So they're kind of being met with like past moments in the present. Right. The they, I mean, an insult is you live in the past or even Dorit's sister Garcelle, like you're not relevant. But I, but right, but there's something so yeah. living in the past or being stuck in the past or legally needing to be in the past when you're on these shows because you're constantly talking about these like pretty much random things that happened on the cuff, you know, like offhandedly you're angry and sudden is like, well, you're stupid leather pants. But then that becomes like remembered. That is just, it becomes like a focal point. It's just something she said. She was drunk. She was angry, whatever. She blurted something out and and then it becomes like cemented into everyone's memory and onto like, television it's so weird and the but I think that that's actually also funny to talk about not funny but like when you can contrast a moment like that with the whole Erica stuff because I think that a lot of what they because like her speech is never off the cuff right so I think that it's like what Mm -mm. they're trying to I don't know. I mean, do we think it is it like less of a memory with her because it's like it it almost takes away from the humor of reality television and it makes it into like a serious case, right? So you can definitely see a division between those right. conflicts. I think yeah, I mean that's a as a interesting question, right? Like is it less of a memory? I mean, I think because Erica knows the way that like the, the the show works and she knows the way the media cycles work, like I think she, I think it is less of a memory because I think she understands like the implications and how this is going to be brought back. And I think she's constantly trying to figure out how she can like master the narrative and like every housewife has tried it. You can't, you can't master your narrative. Like it's just not mm. up to you. Like you can try pretty hard and like you can do a pretty good job for a couple seasons like Lisa Vanderpump, but it never works because ultimately the executioner, Andy Cohen. Right, because will get he's you. the one, <laughs> right, because he's not, he's the executioner. No, well, because he's mates. the one who yeah. has, he's like the jokester, the trickster, whatever, who's, or, or the fool. He's not the mm-hmm. fool though. Uh, But he, you know, he's definitely, I think what I'm trying to say is that like he's right on that precipice of a viewer and and viewed, right? Because he's the one who kind of makes fun of them for being on the show. And, but he also questions them. His whole life is based around these shows, but at the same time, he's also watching it and he also can distance himself. And he, he does a really good job and like he invites Mm -hmm. them to his parties. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's something um, to be said, right. About like Andy Cohen's role and, there no I think that the shows a lot of people said would be great if they were like men on them especially like gay men you know what I mean (laughs) but um I think that Andy Cohen fills that role and Andy Cohen wants it to be very like divided like in a gender way because he needs to maintain the type of irony and humor that he is perfected as his own like facade or character yeah for sure I mean in thinking about the reunion as trial it's like Okay, so the castmates, the housewives are on trial. 
like the public is kind of like the judge. And I do think that Andy is kind of like the executioner or something. Like he kind of, because he's not really the judge because it doesn't really matter ultimately what he thinks about them. It matters what he thinks about them professionally. Like he can stop their careers, but it really matters what the public thinks about the characters because it matters about the ratings, right? So it's like, it really matters like what, what we think, but also Andy constructs himself as the public. He like is the voice of the well, public right? Too, he's our voice. He's like he speaks. He speaks for the masses, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, something funny is that um, that re- that podcast um, bitch sesh. One of the people was talking about how they they're friends with Andy Cohen, and they like emailed Andy a list of questions that they wanted him to ask Kim at the reunion at the Kardashian reunion. And he asked a few of them. So in that way, he really is like the voice of. No, he is. And he's always played that role. Right. And like you get yeah. these random people from all over the country who who some of them legitimately like want to know. Right. And you you get some pretty good questions. Yeah. there, But I think that that's why it's like he's he's trying to like make the lives of the rich more accessible right or like the lives of like Mm -hmm. a weird niche of people like you know you can ask the questions you've always wanted to ask but they're in the type of setting or forum I don't know it it, it's it's very gladiator-esque it's very like watching people like go there to socially die which brings back a lot of the money question because you have someone like Sutton who gets 300k a month from her ex-husband which I did the math in my head it's not like one point no 3.6 million dollars a year I mean, she got no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so she doesn't need to be on the show for for money. It seems like she's just on the show because it's like kind of it's like a funny thing to do. But then you have someone like Lisa Rinna or um, Erica who are who are on the show for the money, right? And you have a lot of women like Camille Donatachi, (laughs) our fave, who went on the show because she was about to be divorced and she needed like first of all some kind of proof that her husband was never around because the show acts as proof it acts as truth but it also on another level like there's so many different levels of who this type of proof or truth affects and one of them is like in in actual legal Mm -hmm. cases like divorces like you can see like that's what the husband said he was actually never there I was actually at this place at this time right well, and that many women, that's a trend that's happened throughout housewives history as women go on to get divorced. Like, right. Or when the they're car- like, you know, that their um, careers are kind of going down a little bit when you're like, oh, they can make it like a couple hundred thousand dollars from this and pretend like it's below them. Right. Right. I wonder if Erica, why do you think Erica went on the show? What year did she go on the show again? Uh, it was... 2015 she's been on for a long time six years so but I mean I don't know That's a long I time that I didn't that, realize it been um, that long. so what they're saying she was saying that oh three years ago well Kyle's been on for 11 years the alleged accident yeah well um, so in in Erica's uh memoir which I did listen to on a road trip um she talks about how she went on the show like how like she was doing Erica Jane and like 
it was like doing fine, but then she got the opportunity to go on housewives and she like, she paints it in her book as like, she went on to like help skyrocket the Erica Jane project. Well, I, what, what I think happened and I, I mean, I need to look up, um, when the plane crash was, can you look, sorry, my internet's really bad. Can we, can we look up what year that was? That crazy, um, gas leak thing was resolved in 2015. There we go. That's it. So at the start and, and Boeing largely settled with the families in early 2020. Right. So there we go. So what happened is she went on the show because that's when Erica Jane was blowing up because he was starting to realize that he could put the money into her brand. Right. You know, and, and so then that, that's when she, that's what I thought. I thought that she would have gone on the show right when that shit was happening because they're concocting a narrative of look at my husband and then they can concoct the narrative of, oh my God, like so many other housewives, my relationship fell apart partly through the show. And then she also has like this, you know, the, the alibi of I was here, I was there, people like me, this person knows, like, I think that she needed to make her life public in a way. For a type yeah. of long haul, which is like, it's so, I don't know. It's like, it's so contrived. And I also feel like I'm getting into the weeds almost of like being one of those like real housewives detectives where you like go through and be like, well, <laughs> yeah. she said this and that. Like I, so much of that, I feel like is so like silly to do. It's like, yeah, she's guilty. Yeah. She went on the show to cover it up, you know, but th- it's just like it, it's like LA Confidential at the end. You're like, that's such a bad movie. Like, what? Yeah, so pro cop. Also, I know, is. but that's like also like Erica. You're just like, wow, that was a really bad movie. It could have been so much better, but it was actually at the end of the day, it was just like stupid. It has this tone of like a real like Hollywood crime story, like really like corruption, and like it has this, and it, and it also has the uh, tenor of true crime which obviously, you know, you're talking about Real Housewives detectives. I mean, there was that incredibly disturbing thing that happened that was like a thing like three weeks ago that young woman, Gabby Petito, went missing. She was like murdered by her boyfriend, ostensibly. And TikTok like set out to solve the mystery. And it was like one of these podcasts about true crime, a girl goes missing, found dead, it was like one of those podcasts that everyone's obsessed with binging playing out in real time. And like a YouTuber found her van parked. And like, there was some like influencer people that I follow that were like kind of commenting. And I was like, this is so creepy, like dearly, truly upsetting. Like there is a huge desire for the public to be like involved in solving the case. And, and the last thing I'll say about daytime TV is that like, I, I've been going to the gym in the middle of the day sometimes and I like go on the bike and like an like a like a classic stay-at-home mom I'm watching the daytime tv on at the gym and Dr. Oz is on a lot and they have a true crime segment on Dr. Oz wow <laughs> so like the true crime thing cannot be understated yeah I actually okay there were two moments that I quickly want to touch on that are related. The first was it starts out with that like two weeks earlier and Lisa Rinna goes to Erica Jane and Erica Jane was like, last night I had a dream about the reunion. And then, oh, right, yes. and then it goes into the reunion. So it is, it becomes this very strange, hyper real 
surreal. Like the reunion is but a figment of Erica Jane's imagination. Like what's going on? Is it like an alternate reality? But then at the same time, the set simulation the set is like the it's a set of kathy hilton's backyard kathy hilton's backyard and andy's like yeah it's like a direct simulation of her backyard and then she has no idea where she is so those i think were right my mind was blown when literally when andy said we are in this he says i wrote it down he says we are in the simulation and i was like (laughs) and then he pauses he says of kathy hilton's backyard i'm like Okay, simulation aside, what? Yeah. Why Kathy Hilton's backyard? And then you're right. Yeah. She didn't notice. Ooh, that was she weird. no she is she has no idea where she is. You know, <laughs> Kathy Hilton's another no, she really doesn't. She's so rich. She's so rich, she doesn't have to know where she is. It's kind it's, of amazing. Because you don't think that like money you think money gets you nice clothes and blah 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 and like your nice hair a new face when you have a certain amount of money you literally don't need to know where you are what time it is what (laughs) language you speak your own name like you don't you don't you just have to like but what is that maybe that's even like I'm just tying it to like the weird type of forgetting or memory mechanisms that are going on in the show if they are all they pull out mm. their account books right with that type of shit but then Kathy Hilton comes with like a piece of note paper with sharpie on it and there's no idea where she well, is she's they- like uh, she's like dementia or something it's weird I mean even talking about even talking about the um you know language of like owning it as tax forms, the receipts, you know, like show the receipts. It's like on Potomac, there's a pretty famous reunion scene where Monique brings a binder of like text messages that she's printed out. Like she brings the receipts. It's like, come with the receipts, honey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, come with the receipts, honey. Like, but I was laughing. I, I made a note that, um, Kathy Hilton is like, Okay. Yes. So she's actually real money because like you look at her house and stuff and like, she just has like, she has like the most kitschy old woman house. She like eats dinner Ritz crackers on a TV tray, but she's like a Hilton. But then she has like really fancy, like crystal glasses, you know, like she just has like, she has like very like classically expensive things, but she, the way her money has met her wealth has manifested is not in the way that she dresses or the way she looks good all the time, but she's just like, yeah, she has this air of like, just being able to like breeze around. And then I also felt like her with the folded up note paper. I was like, Kathy is like, so analog in this whole like broad sense of the word. Like she's like an analog housewife. <laughs> like She's like the original kind of housewife that we like all love to see. Like somebody who's like, like I've been watching Atlanta and I have to say the best housewives are always the most eccentric ones. Like, like Phaedra is the most compelling on TV. Um, Sonia Sutton is really good. She, cause she's so eccentric and kind of weird. Mimi, Even like Sheree, Kathy, like, oh my God, Sheree. I mean, like you have to be like, to be a really good housewife, you kind of have to have this like eccentric kind of like weird you have to operate in the world that's like an, an entertaining and right, weird, an illusion, and you know, and like, 
And I feel like most of the housewives on Beverly Hills, like Dorit doesn't have that. Garcelle doesn't have that. Like Lisa Rinna kind of has that. She's just funny. But like, you know, she, but Kathy Hilton really to me like represents like this kind of old school wealth and like old school housewife that, that I think is really crucial to the show. Yeah. Well, they're, they're delusional. Right. Right. They're fully dilute. And that actually, I'm starting to, I know we got to probably wrap it up soon, but that, that kind of stood out. They aren't delusional. And a lot, I think that that's why the reunions maybe seem less delusional because they, um, Mm -hmm. there's a very stark contrast because they even now show like the producers, like doing the makeup touch-ups and Lisa was like, do my hand makeup, Steven, or something like that. And, but then the person actually does it, or you see Andy laughing or Andy making eyes with the producers or the questions, which are not delusional questions. And I think that you can start to see them reckon with this strange barrier between right between their reality and, and like real reality or just the past and the present or the past and the future. And Erica, I mean, Erica is a mess and she is not moving her face the whole time. Like, or she says things or insults, but they're very like, they're very. She was out of it this beginning, this first part. I was like, bitch, no, shut up. You're right? not she just kept saying, she tries to make jokes, but like the. Oh, I had to butt in a bunch of times. I was like, is off. Oh, there's something so off about her. And I don't know if that's because she's on a script or if she's trying to keep herself together. And I think that like she, uh, it, it's, it's so weird because all of them kind of allow themselves to be fluider themselves. And like even Crystal, right. When Andy's like, how are you doing? And she's like, well, my friends just told me to be myself. So you know, that's going to work best. So, you know, don't put the extra lashes because I'm going to cry. You know, that's like, oh, just be yourself. And like Lisa Rinna is even like herself and all over Garcelle and blah, blah, blah. They're all themselves and crying. But Erica Jane is like a rock. She's not human. Even though, so this is interesting. So the reunion set is a simulation of Kathy Hilton's backyard, which is like a real place. And, you know, like, I think that you're really onto something with like the reunion is this place where like, we're, we're back at, we're, we're in reality. Like we can see things going on. We see there's other people there. Like, this isn't just a figment of our imaginations. Like these are all people here. Like there's real people asking questions. It's also like the viewers are like, feel like they're part of a group because like there's other people asking questions and it like, it's really interesting to me that like, we're in this simulation of this real place. That's like very Non- it's not real consequential as a right, location also right. like uh, it's also like how can kathy hilton's house and wealth be real like it's already surreal right but that is the place where we're grounded in the most like real truth or something yeah yeah I mean, no that's... right it gets you because usually the set somewhere right it gets yeah it's it's like a it's it's like a portal. It's like a, it's like a limb. It's like a different space. I'm, it's got this different quality. I'm going to cancel it. you if you call it a liminal space. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's just going back to like classic Los Angeles, like LA noir. It's like the first scene of like Robert Altman's the player where the first, uh, mm-hmm. or the first shot is like a, um, is a, is this like big painting or just, photograph of like a 
of a uh, like camera crew or something, or or I think it's maybe a tapestry. But then someone goes, "All right, cut." And then, and then like, and that's actually the crew. Like they just film the crew because like, that's how you cut it. It's like, you have the thing, just so you know what scene it is. It's like act one, scene one, cut, let's go. Um, and then the movie starts. So you're like, oh, what? You know, because it's like, you right. know, it is and is not part of the movie. And then he's foregrounding it is like, it's a, it it's, it's all contrived. Yes, it's recording. No, it's not real but then the movie ends in this very dreamlike fairy tale sequence right where the main character and the lover like they go off and she's pregnant oh honey would you like a sandwich oh yes dear of course you know it ends in like a very like 1930s hollywood right or not not 30 that's pre-war but it, it ends in like a 1950s classic american housewife los angeles which i was talking with gracie it's like the dream of my grandparents that they struggled with, but my grandfather who was in Hollywood expected my grandma to be like the very housewifey. We have the kids, you're my wife and you come mm-hmm. with me to the actor, blah, 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 blah. So it ends in, a, it, be, it begins with the movie theatrics or the cinematics and it ends with the fairy tale, right? And I think that you yeah. get a sense of that Robert Altman uncanniness in the first in the literal framing shots of the reunion when you see the production when the production is part of it yes i was thinking that yeah i think that definitely that's a great way to to frame that because i think that that is definitely like something that i noticed about this part one you know yeah um well i mean there you have it to be continued (laughs) literally we have three more yeah um we might have to bring in some like housewife some fans to chat about uh, i think we should bring in some of the stuff that goes episode. yeah um so yeah you know um keep watching and keep listening um we're gonna be doing these this is gonna be a fun month it's kind of like we got a you know, hunker down and really get, really get thinking, get watching. watching. Yeah. Or you can just read the newspaper or go on Twitter. Cause now it's all like live tweeted. Right. True. Which is another true, true, thing true. that maybe we can talk about next time and how you don't even need to watch the show anymore to be part of the yeah. opinion. Oh yeah. The media. The media. <laughs> um, well, as always great chat i feel i feel excited about that chat. yeah me too me too All right, bye. Bye. money can't buy your class money can't buy your class elegance is learned Elegance is learned, oh yeah. Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class. Elegance is learned, my friends. Elegance is learned. How many men there are that forget to hold the door when I give them so much more than they can imagine? Money rich and manners poor Never got the boys too far Money talks but I just walk When I can't stand it And the primary mistake 
Texting on a date If you make a lady wait, she'll take a pass The lesson all should learn Even if there's cash to burn Respect yourself, cause no one else can change your path Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned, my friends Elegance is learned, oh yeah Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned, my friends Elegance is learned Now ladies, don't forget to allow the men you've met to exemplify their very best behavior. When entering a room, greet everyone and soon you'll be invited and entitled to the grandeur. Your company should feel when a conversation's real, even if the topic feels like science class. You can tell where someone's been without even asking him. He's either rude or has some style and panache. Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned My friends Elegance is learned Oh yeah Life is all about elegance and flair And savoir-faire You don't have to be rich or famous to be unforgettable Haha <laughs> It's not about where you're from, it's about what you've learned. Money can't buy your class.